Okay, here we go. Oh my god, Sarah, what the hell's going on? Oh, hey, Brian. I... Oh! Oh! Oh. Why did you headbutt me? Uh, we're about to do an episode on punk music and punk culture. I'm all about it. I am getting into the feeling, and I'm I'm getting a little violent. Sorry. Is that why the nerd cave is all thrashed up? Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of listening to some Black Flag earlier, and just uh, spirit came over me, and I just kind of took over. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'll clean it up later. But I mean, let's just let's just feel it for now, man. Oh, okay. All right. So hey, okay. you should have a seat right here. Okay. And um and we're just gonna um I'm just gonna do this. Wait, no. Wait, what are you what are you doing? No, 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 dude. It's cool. It's cool. We're just gonna give you a mohawk. Just, what? just uh? hold still. Hold oh, still. We're doing this. Uh and there we go see um i mean it's pretty cool right it's gonna look even better once i dye it green and purple um you know i actually kind of like it good good okay so now let's pierce your nipples what Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I am Brian Moriarty. Yes, I'm back. You are back. We missed you. Yeah, I missed being on the episode. I actually had notes and everything, but I was sick. You know, (laughs) sometimes that happens. You know, uh, with the Nepal episode, I had a bunch of notes prepared, too, Mm -hmm. and just sometimes timing just doesn't end up working and yep. we can't make it to the recording you know yep this is why we have three hosts now <laughs> yeah uh speaking of which yes uh, eric not here <laughs> yeah uh uh incidentally eric uh was also headbutted by sarah but he actually had ended up in the hospital because sarah went way too hard i on... what what do you want from me i really i'm really into this <laughs> And I'm also really violent, apparently. Yeah. This is a running theme with me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, truth be told, Eric is uh, handling a new position at his day job, mm-hmm. uh, which requires him to be working a lot more hours yep. and a crazier, more unpredictable schedule. So he had to sit this episode out. He will be back the next episode. Yeah, we're only recording one tonight. Normally only we record one. them two at a time, but we're... Hence why yeah. one person gets sick for one day and they miss an entire month of episodes. <laughs> exactly. Though this is a good thing, though, because uh, August has, we're going to have three episodes yes. this month. So Eric will, it'll be almost like he was never gone. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, how are you, Miss Ashley? I'm good. I'm good. Things have been busy, busy, busy for me lately. Yeah? I was, you know, just bridesmaiding for a friend for her wedding and then as soon as the wedding was over i was pet sitting for her then i was pet sitting for another family and uh now my brother and my sister-in-law um have twins coming mid-october twin so boys twin boys coming mid-october so we're um yeah. in the throes of baby showers and building cribs and painting nurseries and all that fun stuff so i'm being a good auntie and trying to help with a lot of the prep work Good for you. Yeah. How are you doing? I've been so busy. Oh, my gosh. So uh, good good things, all good things. So uh, other than visiting my family 
in Southern California, which we talked about on Nerds on Film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have been actually busy booking work. Like I did as my, an actor. As an actor, uh, I did my first uh, commercial last week. Nice. Actually, uh, well, they said it was a commercial. It's actually an industrial video, uh, so it will never see the light of day, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Outside of, well, I mean, I'll show it to you guys because I'll get it on my reel, but. Um, but yeah, and it was for Remax, actually. I'm really excited about nice. that. Yeah, so that was very cool. And then uh, the other one I can't talk about because I signed an NDA. Gotcha. So, uh, but you probably won't see me in it because I was a background gig. <laughs> no, it was not porn. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah was making an obscene gesture with uh, her fingers and a fist. We'll just say that. <laughs> so, um, how dare you, Sarah? <laughs> But, I was trying to keep it off the podcast, but whatever. Well, you know, given the theme of this episode this week, you know, I think it's a bit appropriate. Yeah, actually, okay. Because f- the establishment. Oh, so. oh, okay. That's one. That's one. <laughs> and well, folks, this is weird, right? Because Brian's the first one to bleep and not Sarah. I know. I know. I've What's been good on? lately. So, Sarah, what are we talking about? We are talking about the amazing subculture that is punk. And, yeah. And... The music thereof, because you can't, you kind of can't talk about the culture without talking about the music, because it's a music-based culture. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but I feel like it's one that's been. I mean, okay. So for me personally, I really enjoy talking about subcultures um, and kind of movements within Americana. That's just kind of my thing. I really enjoy that. Like, just wait for an episode on the like Beat Generation or something like that, right. and I'll talk all about it. There's a reason why I had to be there for the Woodstock episode. Of course, I had to talk about hippies. Totally. Um, well, so with punk, this is one that has been kind of lasting on and off since the since the 70s and has roots even before that. And, you know, when something takes up effectively half a century, I think it's important to talk about no, it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I like that we get, we're doing this because we don't really get a chance to talk about subcultures very much. I think mm-hmm. Woodstock was probably the last one we time we really did get a chance to explore yeah. that. And it's important because there is always – usually a subculture is – formed from a historical stimulus of some mm-hmm. kind, right? Yeah. And that is certainly true with the punk movement, right? So where do we where do we start with that? Well, let's go ahead and start with pre-punk. Pre-punk, the proto-punk era. Yes. Let's uh and just kind of seeing where their influences were. Well, sure. at the time in the 60s, um you had the hippie movement. So sure. let's, you know, and that's peaceful, obviously. Um, lots of loose clothing, lots of long hair, um, wanting change, but wanting to have, you know, quiet discourse on change and, and, um, having a much more, uh, polite approach to to revolution, um, if you will. I mean, minus the, you know, gratuitous sex, but. (laughs) Well, well, you know, uh, well, I mean, so let's talk about that briefly, I think. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about. Obviously, the hippie movement was a response to us getting involved in Vietnam, Vietnam. and civil uh, rights movement. Civil rights movement, uh, the equal rights movement. Mm-hmm. Let's make it more clear because what, what you're essentially talking about is the 1950s nailed into the American culture and actually British culture too, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, conformity. Yeah. And you know, you just come out of a war, a major war at this point, one that financially devastated a lot of the world and physically devastated most of the world. So everyone was trying to be optimistic, right? Mm -hmm. So you had, you really have the modern concept of the American dream 
being formed in the 50s going into the 60s. And in the 60s, you start to see that start to fall apart. You start to see people reject it. Yeah. So that's what the hippie movement was about. Yeah. But when you get to the early 70s, now we're out of Vietnam. We're pissed off because we lost the war. <laughs> well, yes and no. It's it's kind of split. You yeah. have the people who are pissed off, and then you have the people who are still blindly optimistic because they're, you know, they really bought into the peace and love thing, and then that turned into disco. So, right. <laughs> and it's, and not to knock disco because I love me some ABBA, and we all know how much <laughs> I, I enjoy disco. Sarah um, is a very interesting person to go karaoke with. Let me just I have tell a, you that. I have very eclectic taste. You do. We haven't gone karaoke in a while, by the way. We should, no, we should do that. We should. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised we don't karaoke more on the podcast. And, right? I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, I just I think it's so comical and interesting at the same time that from the hippie movement, you have this fork that takes mm -hmm. place. And you go from two extremes. You have disco, and then you get the punk movement. It's like yeah, it's like the light side and the dark side, of right? The force. Exactly. And not to say it that is. there weren't in betweens, but um, you know, there was more. There was more to it than just the hippie movement. Obviously, I feel like the hippie movement is a really good um, direct antithesis to look at from a historical perspective. Because if you look, um, you know, just fashion wise, the punks went darker, tighter. And with shorter haircuts, like they were, I mean, really, it's like, oh, it's almost a direct opposite. Yeah. But um, they I'm so mad. I'm going to cut off the sleeves of my t-shirts. I'm going to get one that's really fucking tight. Well, and yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you got to feel like that crunched up tight, violent attitude. And you like, maybe your nuts are, you know, tucked up because your pants are so tight. Your plaid drawers being held up by your suspenders. Right. <laughs> totally. Um, but I think there's also, um, you know, influences from from the beat generation especially uh you know like jack kerouac and allen ginsburg and sure. they you know they had a lot of violent imagery a lot of disgusting grotesque imagery in a lot of their poetry to kind of express their discontent with you know conformist 1950s right. and, and I mean, a lot of black you absolutely know? i mean the beat revolution is a whole other episode that we it is we need to cover for sure yeah. but nevertheless there's always a counterculture mm -hmm. right to yeah. the status quo sure this happens to be the iteration that took place in the 70s. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's an influence. And then music-wise, there was uh, definitely a heavy influence um, from kind of the garage rock bands. Right. Um, you know, if you think of how many times people covered Louie Louie, because that was like the quintessential garage rock song to do. Um, sure. Even, you know, the Who, who started off as garage rock and have gradually become, you know, more arena rock. But, sure. um, you know, they were violent on stage, breaking instruments and having freaking explosions that, you know, deafen the guitar player. Um, true story. And, uh, and you know, like that whole, you know, just kind of in your face, you know, attitude was, was really important. Plus, there was a lot of um, structural breakdowns in the music. Right. People weren't really doing that anymore. Um, you can kind of look really closely to uh, Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, who and Lou Reed is kind of like the godfather of punk music as far as most people are concerned. Um, God rest his soul. But <laughs> it's true because he just passed. He did just pass not too long ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, they would do like kind of these uh, like Andy Warhol like factory like factory performances and whatnot where it was honestly sometimes more noise considered than it was music for the time right. um and it was the lighting was shocking they were interacting with the audience in shocking ways by like asking them you know sexually perverse questions and um and it was basically about the shock factor 
sure. and kind of trying to be startling. And then also, shortly thereafter, you have the glam rock movement, and you have Bowie, and you have Gary Glitter, and you have the New York Dolls. And these are these are huge influences in the sense that they really um, also shocking um, and kind of highlighting androgyny. Uh, which ended up becoming, which played out a lot more in um, 70s punk. Um, I think when it came into the second wave, uh, things got a lot more masculine in the punk scene. Yeah. But, um, you know, at least for the 70s, you know, the guys and the girls were all kind of dressing the same. Um, and especially women altering their dress to dress more like punk guys and kind of being a little bit more hard. And, you know, the guys wearing like tighter pants and like right. everybody kind of has the same hairstyle. Um, and the dark makeup. So that was all influenced from the glam rock scene. And especially if you listen to the New York Dolls, um, I mean, they were, I mean, we're just getting into the punk movement now. <laughs> that's your that's your little preview there. Oh, uh, another argument that people have made that um, 1984, George, George sure. Orwell's 1984 was an influence um, based on the anti-government attitude that it kind of, you know, put into people's heads. Um, and then also Charles Dickens. Which I find very interesting. Yeah, that seems like a complete out of left field. It does seem a little out of left field. However, um, Dickens really did highlight the differences between upper class and lower class. And when you look at the British punk scene, that is extremely important to look at the working class people and the class issues and the economic differences and the disparities there. Right. So... Charles Dickens more of created a British attitude towards class, which I think blew up with the punk scene. It also, I mean, it also blew up a little bit with skinheads and mods um, in in the British scene as well. And that was um, kind of starting in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. um, and skinheads have a little bit of crossover with punk. Um, especially, okay. I mean, that's pretty much where punks got the idea to start having sure. suspenders, flannel, and Doc Martens. Right. So. <laughs> well, I think it's important to bring that up because it's interesting that in America and in the UK, you you had these almost simultaneous mm -hmm. birthings of the movement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a different approach to each of them. In Britain, it was much more politically motivated mm -hmm. at first. Particularly, I mean, if you, this makes sense because they had just, in 1970, they had just transitioned from a labor movement prime minister to a conservative prime minister, mm -hmm. Harold Wilson taking office as prime minister. You now have what would be for the, the better part of the next 20 years, um, you would have a conservative government in Britain. So, um, and given that that's the case and the conservative party tends to be more fiscally conservative more higher class i mean not nothing's gonna be higher class than the royal family but <laughs> you know, right but as as higher class as commoners can go you're naturally that that would make sense that that would drive a counterculture to uh, respond to that you know particularly after vietnam and what was the heightening of the cold war at that point so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also, like, don't forget, you know, having, yeah, having the Cold War, having that socialist movement that was happening, you know, the the communism and, and Russia and everything like that, that whole Marxist ideal um, was also very, very influential, especially when you get into, like, like, anarchy punk and stuff later, too. Yeah. Um, so let's so let's talk about the, the two separate developments then. Um, I want to start in New York. Okay. Not because I don't think that they were 
happening on parallel. I just feel like there's some some very specific musical influences in New York. Sure. That... I mean, I'm sure if you could like trace it back to the exact dates of when the Sex Pistols played at a certain club, like you're gonna be yeah. able to figure out like when the punk movement actually started and where. Sure. And I'm sure somebody has done that and they have probably a PhD because that's not this kind of podcast. No. (laughs) We're more top level. But... um, Well, honestly, I think we understand that history tends to be more fluid. When you're talking about battles (laughs) happening on specific dates, sure. Specificity is important. But if you're talking about something that's like a subculture, a a way of thinking, a, a... movement in that sort of way it's kind of hard to pinpoint an exact moment so um you know but there is one fundamental place however that you cannot have a conversation about the history of punk music without mentioning cbgb's okay which is the like birthing ground really for for punk music and the development. This is literally the Petri dish from which <laughs> pretty much um, was incubated. Pr- pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. So it was um, founded in December 1973 um, in Bowery, in the Bowery District, kind of like Bowery and Bleecker Street in New York um, by a man named Hilly Crystal. Not Billy Crystal. Hilly Crystal. <laughs> and no relation, of course. No relation. Spelled entirely different. It's Crystal. It's K and with an I. Okay. So, <laughs> um, originally the full name of CBGB's was um, CBGB and OMFUG. And it stood for uh, Country Bluegrass Blues and Other Music for Uplifting Gormandizers. Okay. But eventually it just got shortened to CBGB's and it didn't get known at all for Country Blues or Bluegrass. <laughs> no. <laughs> so... Kind of a misnomer uh, when he intended or from what he intended. But what ended up happening was instead of booking, you know, a bunch of bluegrass and blues bands, it ended up getting really popular for doing um, like spoken word poetry and Uh, and early music acts. So this is. There you go. So this is. But that also, just to make a quick connection, like mm -hmm. there is roots to that in bluegrass and folk. Sure. Music, right? Because there was all becoming more performance art like at that point. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's arguable that, you know, a lot of, well, blues and bluegrass has an influence on rock and roll, which then has the influence on punk, and punk took a lot from rockabilly, which is definitely bluegrass and blues influence, and so, like, musical, music gets muddy when you're looking at music history. It's the circle of life. Yeah, with art, things trade off yes, all indeed. the time. Totally, totally. And especially yeah. when we start talking later, I'm going to go ahead and do the, the preface this now, when we start talking about subgenres and bands that fall into specific subgenres, let's not get too nitpicky on your listener feedback, uh, calling me out saying that this band is not actually this kind of subgenre, it's more like this subgenre, because honestly, a lot of times it's fluid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. yes, music music is a rich tapestry mm-hmm. of genres and subgenres. Yes. So, back up off. Yeah. Well, I just say this because this is something that I would have done ten years ago. So, so fair. <laughs> I'm predicting. I'm predicting. But you were precocious in your early twenties. Now you're in your, you know. I'm still a little precocious. You're still a little precocious, but now in your late twenties, and you're like you can't tell, but I'm smiling and holding my fingers to my cheeks and going ding. <laughs> yep. There was a little sparkle that just happened. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
so anyway, so yeah, there was a lot of um, early punk rock bands that were playing there and um, early pre-punk. So uh, Velvet Underground played there. Um, the New York Dolls played there. Patty Smith. Patty Smith. Patty Smith. Oh, lots of, again, spoken word kind of poetry type lyrics just set to music mm-hmm. um, before she started getting more musical, you know, and like. She was totally Brilliant. part of the counterculture. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And she was one of the, the pioneers when it comes to the punk movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wearing shirts with the F word on it and thri- like flipping people off and just being kind of really out there and in yeah. your face. Amazing, amazing woman. Love her. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, gosh, uh, it's funny because I remember watching an, inter- an interview with her just a few years ago uh, in a, uh, an arts class we were taking that was mm-hmm. talking about countercultures from 1950s moving forward and seeing that she still dresses that way oh yeah and she's got to be in her 70s at this point uh-huh. like that is that's a bold statement yeah but uh, there was a point where she was also living with robert maplethorpe who is a photographer mm-hmm. uh died in the early 80s unfortunately uh, he was one of the early casualties to the aids crisis yeah um but he was capturing a lot of the the movement mm-hmm. you know uh, just it was very, very fascinating. So, yeah, um, just wanted to throw another connection in there. No, for sure. Yeah. But also, this is the you know first place where we see the Ramones, um, and, and you know, obviously, a really important band <laughs> to the punk movement. Um, just a little bit. Just, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that people are still wearing their shirts, even though they may have never heard a Ramones song before in their life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, you know. This is also where we have our first appearances of Blondie and Talking Heads, you oh, know. Right. So, so bands that I mean, Blondie was considered kind of punk. I don't know. She kind of touched and go between. She was kind of between the disco. It and was. Punk. A, it was, well. It was like new new wave. Yeah. New wave and punk, kind of like I think she was more punk in the seventies and like in the eighties was a little bit more new wave. So kind of yeah. little touch and go there. Um, but the Talking Heads, you know, kind of started off as something different then formed their own sound to become the amazing talking heads that we know now because david Byrne was crazy yeah and <laughs> you when you say talking heads like they they if you want to want to talk about a band that has such a unique sound yeah that you hear it and you're like oh yep yeah, that is that's that is, them that is uniquely them that is them even when people cover their songs you can't help but notice that the sound of the talking heads yeah. glimmers through. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, side thing. Um, but yeah, so then there's also some somebody really important that also came out of this, um, which is a guy named uh, Richard Hell. And he was in a band, uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And he kind of, well, not kind of, he did basically create a sort of punk look already before... Um, before some other people got their hands on it, and I'll talk about that in a second. But he kind of created the idea of, uh, like, having a slash T-shirt that's held together with safety pins. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and... is very, very punk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I was going through my punk phase, I wouldn't wear earrings. I would wear safety pins in my earlobes. I remember that phase. <laughs> Um, actually, no, that was in high school. You never, you didn't know me when I did that. I think I saw pictures of it. Maybe. You may have gone to a party that was, that where you dressed that way. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Because yeah, there was a couple punk, like, parties we went to. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Um, so he kind of created that whole, like, kind of cut up and pieced back together look, you know, paint on your clothes yourself, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Um, the DIY aspect of Yes, of yes. Absolutely. The, the yeah. kind of, like... You know, create your own fashion, create your own music. Right. That becomes really important. Um, so he had this look. So then 
when the New York Dolls broke up in the early 70s, I think they broke up about 1973 or 74, their manager was a guy named McLaren, Malcolm McLaren. He went, he was basically their manager at the time when they broke up. Um, he tried to he tried to kind of turn them into something else, and it didn't quite work. So um, he hopped the pond, went back to London from whence he came, and he ha- he actually happened to own some storefronts. And in one of these stores, he had kind of like cycled through a couple of different types of businesses. Nothing really stuck, but finally he landed on this one store, and the name of the store was just Sex. And this store basically sold, effectively, Richard Hell's look. The safety pins, the torn up shirts, that kind of thing, but also a lot of leather, a lot of studs, kind of stuff that was pulled from bikers. And in fact, he was, uh, Malcolm McLaren was collaborating with a designer, I don't know, you may have heard of her, Vivian Westwood. And they kind of created what would then become the punk look right. that was heavily sold by four scrappy guys who happened to be working at the store at the time who would later become the Sex Pistols. There, That's where it is. There it is. <laughs> All right. That's where it is. And this is where people argue that the Sex Pistols are the first punk band. If you look at the timeline, the Sex Pistols formed at the same exact time as the Ramones. So whatever. It doesn't matter who was first. <laughs> yeah. What matters is that it happened. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, predominantly from, you know, the original lineup of the Sex Pistols, Johnny Rotten's lead singer, um, otherwise known as John Linden, and he kind of used that same sort of screamy, not quite singing thing that, um, you know, that the New York Dolls did, but he did it so much better and he wrote and he wrote most of the lyrics and it was angry and if you i mean if you just listen let i mean sean we just have to play it because it's arguably one of the first early punk songs to become you know remotely popular uh anarchy in the uk Yes. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely iconic to, I mean, that in itself, you could summarize the punk movement in that song alone. Yeah, or specifically anarcho-punk, which, you know, was definitely... Now we're getting into the sub-genres. Now we're getting into (laughs) sub-genres. Siri. But no, that's okay. But like that, but that is, you know, the whole idea of where it's... It's violent. It's brash. It's in your face. I'm sorry. Not even most artists today will sit there on the first line, call themselves the Antichrist. Like, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> most people aren't even that bold anymore, but the Sex Pistols were. Sure. That's for sure. Um, and then, you know, actually, so the Sex Pistols were playing a couple of gigs. Everybody hated them. <laughs> the press hated them. Most of the people who were listening were booing them off stage within the first 10 minutes. 
Um, but then there was something very interesting about them that all these kids kind of started showing up. These working class kids were showing up and kind of going like, why does everybody hate this band so much? And they found something to relate to. Yeah. And that's super important. And when you put the emphasis on working class, again, mm -hmm. calling into attention class differences in the UK at yeah. this point in time. So Yeah. Well, and that's why this that's why the Sex Pistols were so important is cuz you know, they're sitting there calling out saying I want anarchy. I want the government taken down. I, you know, and I, it's it's violent and I want to I just want to beat the crap out of somebody because that's how angry I am. Mm -hmm. Um and that's something a lot of people could relate to. Um specifically this group called the Bromley Contingent. And they were kind of like a a little clique that all grew up around Bromley, hence the name. Um, and they really fell in love with the Sex Pistols and what they were doing. Um, at this point, Sid Vicious had joined the band um, by the time that the Bromley contingent was coming around. And the, and actually, Sid Vicious theoretically um, invented pogo dancing, which is just <laughs> kind of like the jumping up and down, like, semi in rhythm, <laughs> um, which then led to jumping up and down in semi rhythm and bumping into each other. And getting kind of violent. And so in other words, headbanging, basically. Moshing. Moshing, yeah. 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 Headbanging was more It was more metal, yeah. Thrashing your hair around. This is... Never... You get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm clearly not punk at all. No. I could, <laughs> I'm the furthest thing from punk. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so... That's I, okay. That's okay. <laughs> you don't have to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm just beautiful as I am. Yes, you are. You We're all unique snowflakes. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me. Some people. Wow. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Are you? No. Uh, <laughs> so the Bromley contingent um, ended up seeing, so they ended up seeing all the early Sex Pistol shows. And then the Ramones came over in about 1975 or 76. And they performed in London. And the, then the Bromley contingent, that little group saw them. And that ended up, they decided, if these guys can do it, we can do it. So let's go ahead. And that's where we get bands like The Adverts, The Slits, Generation X, and a little band that I like to call The Clash. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it took emerging, not emerging, it took a joint meeting, not a joint meeting, a joint event of the two punk superpowers to... Or just happening, like, you know, just this this group observing one, <laughs> observing the other, and going okay, let's do this, you know? <laughs> and that's and that's really, really important for the London punk movement. So, I mean, if you look at The Clash, okay, well, there's a lot of people who say the Sex Pistols did it first, uh, The Clash perfected it, and the Ramones made it popular. Sure. I can agree with that to a certain extent. I personally think that the Sex Pistols and the Ramones both created it, I think the Sex Pistols led itself more to anar um, anarcho-punk and hardcore punk. I think sure. the Ramones led themselves to pop punk and ska punk and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think The Clash is the amalgamation that really opened it up to say, hey, you can have fun with this music. Right. Because The Clash didn't just do, you know. They didn't just do straight traditional punk music. It wasn't just guitar and drums and that's it. You know, right. like. They actually decided to play with it a little bit more. They had influences from reggae. They had influences from um, jazz, uh, you know, and don't forget that the Rude Boys and there was a Rasta movement and all that other stuff yeah. going on, too. And not all of their songs were this angry 
mm-hmm. tone to it. You know, yeah. I mean, sure, there was certainly yeah some. Well, songs the Ramones are, weren't really that angry. Yeah, the Ramones had you know stuff that I mean, I want to be sedated and that kind of, that was definitely playful. Right. Um, but I don't think like the Ramones were not angry the way the Sex Pistols were angry. Right. <laughs> so and I think. Um, I think the clash kind of had like if you look at London Calling, right? You know, it's a little, it's a little angry. It's like definitely pessimistic and kind of sure. saying like, you know, London's falling apart, uh, uh, but you know, it's not the same kind of violence. Level. Why don't we? Why don't we have Sean do a quick little comparison? Uh, Sean, London Calling. Thank you. And let's play a little bit of uh, I Want to Be Stated just to, cause, just because. Just because you want to hear it? Absolutely. Just listening to the guitar lines of the, I mean, it's very, it's very, very different. Yeah. Ramones is like, it's faster pace and there's yeah. like, oh yeah, you know, we're. Yeah. Or like rock and roll out. high school. Rock, right. Rock, rock and roll high school. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's definitely a little bit. You like, can almost like your head just kind of is bopping around to it. A little, but, yeah, yeah. A little bit. But you, when you listen to The Clash, it's very like, it's got more of a pointed, more, slightly more dramatic. Oh, kind it's of, dramatic. Yeah. For sure. Feel to it. Uh, and then of course, The Clash. Made one of my favorite songs ever, Rock the Casbah. Oh, of course. Yeah. You don't have to play Rock the Casbah. <laughs> but it's a good song. But it's a great song. Yeah. It's a lo- I love that song. I mean, London Calling, the album itself in general, is yeah. amazing and everybody should have it. If you don't have it in your collection, I implore you, don't just go and download a single song. Get the whole album. It's worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. totally worth it. Um, so that's kind of, you know, and there was punk movements in Spain, there was stuff happening in Australia, there was stuff happening kind of, um, in Eastern Europe, specifically in like Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, so it really, it just, at this point it spread, but let's talk about the term punk Mm -hmm. because this music was starting to be created, but they weren't really slapping the punk label on it. So hardcore punk was actually used to describe garage rock for a while and also kind of like, um, you know, I think it's earliest usage that they were able to find was like the 1800s where it was applying to a, a piece of overly soaked wood that was cr- crumbling apart. So something that's kind of worthless, something that's uh, crappy. You know? Right. And then all of a sudden that term kind of started getting put on people. Sure. Which again, worthless tended to be people. tended to be working class people who mm-hmm. resulted to resorted to, well, you know. Not just working class people, but also the term punk, um, just from an etymology perspective, yeah. was also um, in the early 1900s used to describe somebody who would be, for lack of a better term, the bottom in a male homosexual jailbird relationship. Ah. Yeah. So it was kind of used as a derogatory term in that way. Um, and then it got applied to the garage rock you know, kind of music a little bit, like just here and there in media. Um, but whereas I think punk decided to, like the punk rock movement decided to take it on, um, was really the with the creation of Punk Magazine, which was a 
fan-created grassroots zine. Oh, my God. Brian, do you remember zines? I remember <laughs> fanzines, of course. Zines? Yeah. Pre-blogs? <laughs> I know. Th- these are the proto-blogs. They're proto-blogs. Well, yeah. And this is so much speaks to the DIY mentality mm-hmm. of the punk movement. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. We're going to... We're gonna... You're creating... Like, let's make a magazine that highlights everything. And they had right. people like Lou Reed and Patti Smith sure. and Blondie and the Ramones and whatever on all their early covers. Sure. Um, and I'm sure Maplethorpe probably took a couple probably. of pictures that were for the... Probably. Yeah. And and they did a lot of um, artistry. They were heavily influenced by comics. They loved comics. So there was a lot of, like, comic art and, that, and pop art right. that was... Um, you know, kind of incorporated into this, but in the punk way. So, you know, it's a little bit darker, a little bit edgier. Um, And that publication really lasted, I think it lasted from 74 to 79. Okay. So it really lasted throughout that first wave of punk music, which again, kind of lasted through the 70s. After that, then we start to get into the second wave. Right. Um, So about 78, um, after punk has become a little bit more popular, it's gotten its footing a little bit of, of you know, how are we created? The Sex Pistols have already broken up at this point. <laughs> they had like a 19 gig tour in the United States. By the time that they got to San Francisco, last stop on the tour, they were already broken up. And uh, Johnny Rotten went on to um, start his band Public Image Limited, which I believe is still together. And I believe he's still touring. Although few li- few lineup changes by this point. Actually, fun fact, Johnny Rotten was almost um, the lead singer of Devo. Really? Yeah, because... <laughs> oh, that actually, is just what, I actually feel like I'm missing a huge giant part of this. Here's another really interesting aspect. The Sex Pistols, when they kept getting dropped from labels, finally got picked up by a very tiny independent label at the time called Virgin. Oh. So. Wow. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. Which is also, I mean... Branson isn't a punk aesthetically at no, all. No. But the idea that he, you know, started his own business and it, the Vir- and the Virgin Records startup, as it were, mm-hmm. was very was very very humble. But now he's like he's a gajillionaire. Gajillionaire with a spaceship, and yep. he actually knows how to fly a space a I space know. shuttle. I Crazy. know. So it is very interesting to see that it has this, that very grassroots, very yeah. organic kind of yeah. beginning to it. Well, and so it was. Like, it was Johnny Rotten and Richard Branson were on an island, of course, because it's Richard Branson. <laughs> he probably owned he owns, the island. He owns several. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, think he can, I think he literally can zip line from one to the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were on an island talking about what, what was John Linden going to do now, now that the Sex Pistols had broken up. And they were talking to a bunch of bands and they were talking to Devo and they were like trying to talk to Devo but like hey do you want to incorporate this guy into it and, and Devo's like yeah no <laughs> just like that definitely sparks the imagination because oh, yeah. Devo sounds just so different I they do but don't but they came from the same place like they you know their song Whip It wasn't really about like anything you know whatever you can imagine that song to possibly be about but it was about politics I mean yeah. like there was still that same kind of idea that same sort of mentality behind it um but their just music was going in a totally different direction (laughs) um so but anyway so like in this whole um you know this whole movement here um in the 80s this is where or 1978 specifically is kind of where we start to see um like the hardcore punk scene appear um and a lot of it you know was in la um this is where la kind of comes in 
Um, I mean, that makes sense because L.A. I mean, L.A. is one of the major hubs of the music industry. Yeah. Arguably the major hub of the music industry. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So many music clubs in Hollywood as well that became pretty seminal in this point in, in this era so yeah yeah and also in and i mean in san francisco too like let's not forget like the dead kennedys came from san francisco this is a sure. very important band okay <laughs> um but if we're looking um in 78 this is really where the hardcore punk movement kind of comes out and this is where you have um bands like uh black flag um middle class and circle jerks i'm sorry we're not believing that <laughs> yeah, we're not, folks. If you don't know what that means, just Google it. Just, just or, Google or it. don't. Actually, if you Google it, you might get something you don't want to know. Just don't. Go to Urban, Urban Dictionary and <laughs> oh, look it up, because then you'll have like a, a safe for work, you know, way of looking up what that means. If for some reason you don't, this know episode's what that means. not getting played in a classroom. No, not at all. <laughs> no. Not at all. Um, I don't but, think we get played in classrooms as it is, but if we did. Wow. Yep. I am so sorry. Yep. That fifth grade class will never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so those, and so like that whole, um, you know, kind of hardcore punk scene really, you know, lent itself to other sort of subgenres, um, kind of getting into the um, anarcho punk and that kind of thing, um, which would, you know, become so much more important. But like, you know, two of my favorite bands flat out came from the 80s second wave and that's bad religion and social distortion yeah love these bands ah you have no idea okay um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but social distortion always kind of had a little bit more of a rockabilly flavor to it especially sure. nowadays mike ness the lead singer is still touring as social distortion even though i'm pretty sure he's the only original member left yeah um but and they maybe have gotten a little bit softer, but definitely, you know, back then they were they were a really good, important band. Um, Bad Religion, I think, is a really good example of what it what it is what it was to be an eighties uh, an eighties punk band, anarcho punk band, right? And then also to transition very smoothly over into the third wave as well. Sure. Um, their logo is like the circle with the slash through it over a cross so i mean they basically are flat out you know they it's a shocking symbol and let's not forget a lot of early, early punks wore nazi symbols and things like that and, and swastikas and whatnot um communist symbols and it wasn't necessarily that they believed the ideology but they wanted to have like a really shocking again it was yeah it was the shock value of the shock value of it like yeah, now you have to look at me. Now you want to start a conversation with me. Even if it's just to yell at me, you want to talk to me now. All of a sudden I'm important because right. I'm it in evokes face. it evokes anger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same thing with the cross, you know, being slashed out. This sure. is so important. It's and it's mostly to this band's ideology which has not changed in the 30 years that they've been together um of not necessarily just saying, "Oh, we're anti-religion." But you're not going to find religion here. You're not going to find something that says you have to think a certain way. You have to follow a certain dogma. You have to follow a certain moral code in order to be here. They believe in morality. They believe in goodness. But they don't believe that um, you have to have a specific 
economic ideology, a specific religious ideology. Or a specific deity that you Yeah, or just you, you don't subscribe to any sort of ism really. Right. They're kind of anti ism. Sure. Except I'm Which is actually sure. very Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> Which honestly though, they're more like atheists. Yeah. So Sure. Um and the lead singer Greg Graffin brilliant guy has written a lot of books um on atheism and he's also a guest lecturer um in ucla um yeah and like the sciences (laughs) and he has a folk album which is really awesome (laughs) the more you know folks. the more you know sorry it's just it's good no no that's (laughs) that is fascinating yeah um Um, and and so and you know these are bands that really lasted so i feel like even black flag you know, they've had some hiatuses because Henry Rollins, the lead singer, has, you know, had a stand up career. He's done sure. spoken, you know, spoken word. He's, he had a he had a talk show on IFC for a while. He had a whole other band. <laughs> sure. He's uh, you might as well most recognize him as one of the commentators on I Love the 80s. Yeah. Which is on weird. One, which is I, you know, let's talk about that for a brief moment. Not sure. the I Love the 80s TV show, but because one of the tenants of of punk is being anti-establishment, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, you one of the things that you could do that would compromise your credibility is to sell out, to become part of the establishment, yeah. right? So just I find, and I'm not saying you know Henry Henry Rollins, you know, you're a fraud. I'm not saying no. that at all. But I do find it curious that you know he he's still kind of mm-hmm. a name in the punk world, and yet yeah, he has made these appearances and has gain some level of notoriety sure through the mainstream well and if you look at other um i mean if you look at pop punk bands those are definitely the ones that have more like radio play but those and, are the posers to the punk well movement. not not necessarily okay, okay. this is <laughs> if you very much put them in the definition that they are they are popular punk yeah are i mean it's almost it, it's almost an oxymoron really yeah but when it comes into the 90s, which is where, you know, pop punk definitely had its heyday. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's I think it's kind of forgivable. It, to, they were still anti-Britney Spears, anti-Backstreet Boys and all that kind of stuff. It, it was still the antithesis of those things. Um, and I think it probably was clinging a lot onto this kind of the same nonconformist feeling that we all have as teenagers it's just it's getting more and more but softened it, but as it's you go through. soft yes yeah. it's soft and it got radio play <laughs> yeah exactly um but uh, you know what so the ramones had a lot of a lot of radio play too hence why i kind of you know say that they're more of like the pop punk and like the beginning of pop punk sure um also in the 80s is kind of where you have the um foundations of um ska punk coming yeah. in um a little bit more of that reggae influence definitely have a horn section that kind of thing um, so that this is the stuff that was kind of the the second wave. I felt like it was really um, kind of drawing the lines between what kind of punk there was, but also really solidifying that foundation for the third wave. And also not to forget that there was a post punk movement happening too, um, with like you know bands like Joy Division, sure. um, and you know Johnny Rotten's second band, Public Image Limited. Um, you know these these were ones that kind of you know were direct responses to the that early first punk movement also this second wave punk music gave birth to what ended up kind of being like grunge rock 
and college alt rock and yeah, indie I mean, rock of the 90s, like Sonic Youth and Nirvana. No, totally. And the Pixies and like those bands definitely evolved from punk I mean, as well. you could make the argument it would probably a music with the sounds that we have today would have eventually somehow through osmosis been made. But I mean, punk is seminal to the alternative music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. a, a genre, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or subgenre, because it technically is. I mean, it, it, but the thing, I w- see, I know I just had a little like. <laughs> I had like, f- that's what happens when you have five thoughts at once. Yes, folks. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, you traditionally alternative, because of the punk basis, if it's punk roots, is very much considered rock, right? But yeah, because of that, because of even bands like Devo, too, like you've now had alternative have subgenres mm-hmm. of a subgenre. So it's yeah. like you've got prog alternative, you've got electro rock, which is considered alternative. And alternative is now taking on a very different form from where, it, if you compared to where it was in the 70s yeah. with punk. So, yeah. But I just, I think it's all interesting because those are all offshoots from the second wave yeah. of punk music. Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't like, let's also not forget these bands that like Nirvana was also influenced, you know, by like the, the heavy metal of the 80s and that stuff too. Um, it's just, you know, he took the less glamorous approach and the more, you know, angry, if not slightly depressed version, which was probably more punk. So lyrics more punk for sure. Sure. Um, and then when we get into the 90s, this is where we kind of have an American revival of punk. At this point, it's pretty much not happening in, in the UK anymore. Um, by the 90s, Thatcher was out and everybody was feeling better. <laughs> right. So... Um, well, Thatcher was out, but there was still, I mean, yeah, I wasn't kidding when I said it was the better part, because there was a couple of labor, very briefly, of labor prime ministers in the early 70s. But up until 1990, you had Thatcher. Then for another seven years, you had her successor, who was also part of the conservative uh, movement. It wasn't really until 97 when you really get like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, things economically had gotten better. That's that's what I think what we're trying to say. Yeah. Which, and usually the economy tends to go with with those social movements. So, um, but yes. Yeah. So if you look more like towards mid nineties, um, I think Berkeley was a really good kind of center point almost for the, the kind of the revival of punk music. I mean, in 92, um, anti flag came back, you know, sure. they were, they were there in a little bit in the late eighties and they disappeared. Then they came back in 92. Um, and anti flag is, Exactly what they sound like. They just hate all the government. Doesn't matter who it is, they hate it. Just burn it. Burn it to the ground. Just all of it. Um, but mid-90s is when, on Gilman Street in Berkeley, that's where you get bands like Operation Ivy and Rancid, who, I mean, they were member. they shared members. Um, but uh, Green Day. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for bringing it up. Finally. We will talk about Green Day. Yes. There's something different. Um, and also AFI, which a lot of people will just like go record scratch AFI, sing the sorrow AFI, girls not gray AFI. I know. They got super emo later. <laughs> they did. They had a total emo phase. Oh, my God. Absolutely. But their early stuff, <laughs> I sound like a pretentious jerk right now. <laughs> Their early stuff, uh, the stuff that nobody else heard, (laughs) the stuff that didn't make it to the radio, um, was actually definitely punk, but it was like a darker punk, kind of like how the Misfits were like a really dark punk. That's what AFI was kind of going for in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was when they hit the 2000s that they just took a term for the emo. 
which we'll talk about emo as a subgenre as well. That was their August release. <laughs> that was their August release. <laughs> Nerds on film jokes. <laughs> um, I just, this is so ironic. That's all I'm saying. I know. I know. Yeah. And then um, there was also a really important thing that happened. Um, uh, Brett Gurowitz of Bad Religion actually formed an independent record label called Epitaph Records. And they became the home of what we now know as, as skate punk. Um, so bands like No Effects and Pennywise and The Offspring mm-hmm. um, all all found their home on that label. So this was kind of like the stuff that you that you would find at Warp Tour. Sure. <laughs> this is like No Effects and um, you know bands like that. They they were on the Tony Hawk video game yeah. soundtrack. Sure, Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. so Blink-182 started off definitely for sure as skate punk. Yeah. Then they made the transition just full-blown pop punk. Yeah. Full-blown pop punk right alongside Good Charlotte. Right. Right alongside Newfound Glory. Right. You know, um, Sum 41. Yeah. <laughs> A Simple Plan. <laughs> this is where we lose me. <laughs> this yeah. is where we lose me. <laughs> Which is that this is around... The late '90s at this point. These late about. '90s, early 2000s for yeah. sure. Offspring was was early '90s, but when we get to when we get to Blink, basically, you're talking about 2000s, 2000s, yeah, yeah 2001. Um, but also there was a, I mean, there was a pretty important, you know, ska revival happening in the late '90s into the early 2000s. Um, if you look at, you know, No Doubt's first two albums being extremely ska, that's how they started. Um, Streetlight Manifesto, Real Big Fish. Come on, real big fish. They are like still a freaking icon. Mm-hmm. Um, I still go see them play. <laughs> they in are fact, the quintessential ska bands. Yeah, in fact, Sean, let's play something from Real Big Fish. I would like to make a personal request for Real Big Fish's cover of Aha's Take On Me because it is classic. If you weren't going to say it, I was. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so then when we get into pop punk, I mean, Green Day, Green Day started off kind of, you know, along the, the lines of kind of like the skate punk, a little bit more of the, you know, a little bit more gritty to stay in your mom's basement, kind of in smoke weed punk. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, you know, like Dookie and Nimrod happened and like those were popular albums and sure. that's when it started getting popular. Then they took a nice long hiatus because Minority would, did not do well. And then they came back with American Idiot. And. And got really freaking popular again. Yeah. And again, Talking about responding to what um, what was the status quo, right? That mm-hmm. was during the Bush administration. That that Bush, not yeah, not the early Bush. Right. This is W we're talking about. W. And I mean, American and I, idiot is so political. Well, and I think that's actually I think that timing, that timing there was really important because mm-hmm. this is also the two thousands really did see such a good revival. Why did it see such a strong revival? Because there was a president that none of these liberal bands liked. Yeah. There was an album that came out called Rock Against Bush, Volumes 1 and 2. I had two, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
it was basically a punk compilation of all these bands. Some of the some of them some of these bands like actually wrote songs specifically for the album. Others just gave like B sides or whatever. But they were all politically charged mm-hmm. songs against the government at the time. Sure. And so there was an absolute, there's a reason why it happened. This was perfectly timely. Yeah. Well, um, it turns out they're not alone. I mean, now history tends to be on the side of <laughs> these he, bands, too. He's not viewed as, as, in fact, I think he's now viewed as the worst president in uh, American history. Yeah, truth. <laughs> for, for a lot of people, that is true. Uh, for some people, they disagree. And that's totally okay. But uh, God, but, I'm for, just... but most of them. Let's sure. just put it. Most of the historians at this yeah. point, just looking at the facts, agree that from where he came in the office, where he left it off, as he was, uh, he was he had the the most negative impact of any president, right? Uh, ever. <laughs> so, so, from this, what I do want to talk about um, now that you kind of have the the overall trajectory, right, of punk music. I sure. mean, it's. It's pretty dormant right now, I would say. Well, things are also, I mean, we had, yes, the crisis in way, but again, things are mm-hmm. very different. Uh, a more liberally leaning politician is in office. Yep. The current political climate is very, very contentious, but there's been lots of progress over the last seven years mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, kind of speak to what the punk movement was trying to change. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, baby steps. <laughs> yes, but big. But these are but these yeah. are like the first baby steps. Sure. This is like we were sure. crawling before at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. Um, but what I do want to talk about now is I just want to focus a little bit more specifically on the subgenres since Please. we've t- since we've touched upon them. Um, so I've mentioned an anar- um, anarcho punk a bunch of times, um, but it's really this is the stuff that is very heavily politically motivated. Uh, just it's a lot of the stuff that I listen to personally. <laughs> you can't put the word anarcho in your title and not be politically motivated. Obviously, obviously. But this was like, you know, obviously the Sex Pistols with Anarchy in the UK. Sure. This is kind of like the foundation of that idea. Um, and, you know, these the, and honestly, a lot of times these people were also the ones who would eventually dismiss the Sex Pistols for being, you know, sellouts. But um, there was a a, a company that ended up forming called Crass Records, and they <laughs> they yeah I know right, um and they kind of um you know help start such bands like Flux of Pink Indians, and KUKL yeah and that band actually featured a young Bjork yeah uh, yeah yep I mean I would say though that say what you will about the Sex Pistols Johnny Rotten mm-hmm. I think is still very anti-establishment I mean let's put this in perspective 10 years ago mm-hmm. he was offered knighthood yep. in the british empire and his formal response to the british monarchy was piss off yep so love it i mean love it <laughs> just just saying yep you know um and so like and like so there is kind of a difference between these bands some of them are more violent others are a little bit more pacifist especially as time went on later um a lot of them are just angrily singing about peace mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just kind of depends on you know which band you're listening to but um you know just other really um important bands from this time um or just in general against me i freaking love this band um they really you know for sure hit their stride in the the third wave revival in the early 2000s and the lead singer is actually um transgender so ah. which is very awesome because she 
Laura, uh, her name is Laura Grace. She started off, you know, as a male, started the band as a male, singing mm-hmm. like a male. She has now made a transition and her voice probably does still sound, yes, masculine. I don't think she's doing um, hormones or anything like that, but she's definitely um, wants to be referred to as a female and she's living her life as a female. And yet she's the songs that she's singing, her voice has not changed, mm. um, but it's awesome. It's it, he, she actually said some, something in an interview. She's kind of like, I really like the idea of just being this amazingly strong woman singing really deep and aggressively at an audience, you know? Well, I mean, when you speak about the the imagery, right, that evokes an immediate response, mm-hmm. that evokes yeah. an immediate response. Oh, absolutely. You hear that and you say, oh, by the way, the singer was is a woman and he she wasn't born that way. Yeah. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah I know. Exactly. It evokes, like, what's going evokes on? I know. Yeah. Um, Propagandy, another great band. Um, that kind of fits into this whole subgenre of bad religion, as we mentioned before, anti-flag, as we mentioned before. Um, then we get into another another personal favorite subgenre of mine, Celtic punk. This is awesome. Uh, I mean, Irish pride. <laughs> no, totally. And, I, and I'm sure there was a punk movement going on in Ireland in the 70s, too. Oh, absolutely there yeah. was. Absolutely was. I mean, if but if you look at... Um, I mean, it really started in the 80s with the Pogues right. in London. and um, Irish punk is a whole other mm-hmm. whole other area because you've also got Flogging Molly. Flogging Molly and Dropkick Murphys. Dropkick Murphys are... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dropkick Murphys are kind of the quintessential Boston band, really. Yeah. Um, and they're really... I mean, Dropkick Murphys does one thing really well, and that's be Irish and aggressive. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like the Boston fighting Irish right there. Yeah. Um, if you look at Floggy Molly, they're a little bit softer. Floggy Molly is one of my to- top favorite bands of all time forever. Um, and they're they're softer in the sense that the vocals are a little bit softer. Yeah. But they're still really powerful message. It's a little bit more fo- like folksy-driven, like Irish folksy-driven than Dropkick is. Dropkick is definitely more punk with Irish influence, and I think Floggy yeah. Molly's more Irish with punk influence. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you brought that up, too. Yeah. And again, that's also something that the Pogues yeah. think, worked in The Pogues were a little bit more Irish with punk influence, kind yeah, of. Yeah, totally. Um, um, and then also, I do not want to forget this because I feel like they get lo- left off a lot. Uh, the Real Mackenzies, they, if Dropkick Murphys are American Irish, Real Mackenzies are Canadian Scottish. Oh, yes. interesting. It's the bizarro band. Kind of. of. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's very it's very similar style of music. So if you sure. like Dropkick Murphys, you're probably going to like the Real Mackenzies. And I really suggest Except they're going to punch you in the face and go, sorry, afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of their albums is locked and loaded. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> um, there's, you know, cowpunk, which has completely missed me. It's not my thing, but it's like a really weird marriage between like country and punk. All right. um, and it's kind of more, it, uh, it's like kind of like Psycho Billy a little bit. Um, but bands like that are like the old 97s um, or Jason and the Scorchers. So you can go check those out if you're interested. Now, the article that I have here likes to cite emo as a subgenre of subgenre of punk. This is how I feel about that. <laughs> I do not feel that emo is a subgenre of punk so much as a genre that was 
unfortunately birthed by punk. This was like the punk got drunk one night and hooked up with a chick at a bar. And yeah. this was the offspring. that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just feel like. <laughs> Who did he hook up with? Like the cranberries or something? <laughs> Shut up. I like the cranberries. <laughs> I like the cranberries too. I'm just trying to come up with like a comparison. I know, right? <laughs> um, I, I, but emo, emo has the same kind of thing where there's still that, um, there's still that anger. There's still that, uh, that pain. That's there, but it's more internalized. This is actually how I've described it to other people, when, especially when emo was really, really popular. Um, I was kind of feeling like, whereas emo is internalizing all the pain and talking about how upset you are inside because all your feelings are hurt, um, I think that punk is much more um, outside, much more external. We're looking at you, dashboard confessional. <laughs> <laughs> we are looking at you, dashboard Um afi's second half <laughs> the second half of that career um guys why are you gonna why are you gonna make fun of emo music yeah yeah so it's it's just personally it's not for me i also do think since we decided to do the alan hipster voice i also this is my speculation i could be totally wrong and people are probably gonna hate me for the statement but i don't care just from a sociological theory perspective it seems to me that the hipster anti-mainstream attitude is a is a carryover from punk. Oh, I would believe that completely. Better fashion sense to it. That's mostly. debatable. That's Most, debatable. I mostly. like the punk fashion sense. <laughs> well, again, what fashion is very subjective. Yes, it is. Right. Um, very, very different sense of fashion sense. Mm -hmm. We can agree on that. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't really see punk people wearing fedoras. Um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Unless no. ska punks. Some ska punks will wear fedoras. Yeah. Yeah. So you see fusion there. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think, though, that you're right. I, I think the punk has far-reaching influences that even even if it's only tangential, mm -hmm. their influence is still very much. Yeah. You could argue, I mean, Apple has a kind of a, even though and we're talking about a technology company at that point has a slight punk perspective to it, only in the sense that they are not so much anti-establishment as that they they're they started in someone's garage. They they've always been about like the music, they've always been about expression and um so you could say that from that perspective that it's had a kind of a indirect influence mm -hmm. on the culture that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just remember there was a period of time when you know, I'm sitting there kind of being a little bit more of a punk and, you know, kind of being like, you know, oh, yeah, I I heard of Against Me before you did. Mm -hmm. And kind of like really appreciating that whole not part of the mainstream right. possessiveness that I think comes with the territory. Sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden being called a hipster for it. And I was like, wait, when did that change? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I, I knew you when you were coming out of that punk phase. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is very interesting to see you know, what, what changes, right? Yeah. And I think as you, as a person, I mean, being a punk, or go, not saying being a punk, being part of punk culture mm -hmm. is also so much about where you are in your life. Sure. Too, right? Absolutely. So it makes sense that you get a lot of teenagers in early to mid-20s mm -hmm. people because they're frustrated with lots of, of things. Yeah. Uh, so it naturally, they just, it clings to them. Yet you still got that mindset later on where you like to dip into it. Mm -hmm. Every now and again. Oh, just, absolutely. Are you, I still I still listen to punk music to this day. I yeah. still absolutely love it. 
I just also understand that my whole life does not have to revolve around punk. Sure. And I've broadened. I just, but I just love the weekend punk people. The people who, what I mean by that is, yeah, yeah sure, the music's always on in the car, whatever. Yeah. That's your car is your sacrosanct, mm-hmm. you know, place where you can <laughs> be who you really are. But like, no, they put on the tight pants and the, the torn shirts on the weekend to go to a punk show, and then they're back in the office yep. Monday morning yep. with, you know, mm-hmm. fitted jeans and a collared shirt. If you if you want to see that transition happen and have it really well explained, watch SLC Punk. Mm-hmm. That movie is a wonderful demonstration of what it's like to go from being like hardcore punk, everything in your life is punk, and then tra- having to transition out of it. Yeah. It's very, oh, God, I love that movie. Apparently, the sequel is out? Question mark? I know there's a trailer for it bouncing around on the internet. I haven't seen anything about an actual release date, but yeah. it was Indiegogo'd. <laughs> so, anyway. Maybe it was shot, but it hasn't been distributed yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. Um, um, but there's also a couple more genres that I do want to quickly cover. Okay. Um, this one's awesome. And because it's fairly new, it's definitely unique to the third wave. Um, gypsy punk. Mm. Yes. Um, I love how we're bringing it back to our Roma episode all I of a sudden. I know, right? Yeah. Um, so if you look at bands like Culture Shock or more specifically one of my favorite bands of all time, Gogol Bordello. Gogo Bordello. Gogol. Gogol. Bordello. Bordello. Yes. G-O-G-O-L. Okay. Bordello. Bordello. Um, B-O-R. <laughs> we don't need to actually spell this. Go, Bordello. G-O-G. <laughs> um, so they, they are definitely heavily influenced by world music. It's like got the crazy punk beat and like kind of that gritty vocal that like you find in like the hardcore punk. Um, but it's more like, you know... How do you it, – it's, like, got kind of, like, Eastern influences. It's kind of got, um, you know, like, a little bit more of a Jewish flair. And they tend to play, like, more, like, old world type instruments. Like, you wouldn't be surprised to find, like, a violin and a mandolin incorporated in. It's really, really fun. <laughs> it yeah. is so fun. Um, Sean? Oh, yeah. Oh, if we're going to do a Gogo Bordello song, start wearing purple. It's fun. There's also Psychobilly, which is um, like Hillbilly Hellcats and Reverend Horton Heat. Saw Reverend Horton Heat in concert a few years ago. Super fun show. This is definitely more like upright bass (laughs) kind of punk. Um, (laughs) Upright bass. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, And then also... Uh, ska punk, we've mentioned that. Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Streetlight Manifesto, those kinds of bands. Right. Um, and I could not possibly not talk about the Riot Girl movement within punk. This happened um, around the mid-90s. Uh, bands like Bikini Kill and Bratmobile. Um, lots of angry girl music. Very feminist heavy. Talked about a lot of, um, talked about a lot of the misogyny within the punk movement itself. Um, and had a lot of really harsh topics talking about domestic violence and rape and things like that. Mm-hmm. And just, it was really angry and I'm kind of sad that it was a little short lived, but um, it was still really important nonetheless. Sure. So that's kind of it for the sub genres. Um, and I'm, we're probably going to have to call it there because this episode's running a little long. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. It's Obviously. Talk about. Yeah, exactly. Obviously punk is, even though it's a, a fairly young movement, 
it's got so much depth that you can go into. And it's lasted longer than a lot of movements, even though it's kind of come and gone. Sure. Here and there, it's still persistent. It's still hiding behind the surface, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and I think that's important to bring up, too, because in a society that is founded on the right to protest mm-hmm. as being one of your fundamental civil liberties. There is always going to be a place for punk culture Yeah, for that reason, you know? So is punk going to go away completely? No, of course not. Same way that big band jazz hasn't gone away completely. You know, it'll become a niche at some point. Maybe it'll be a music class that you can take in uh, in high school Pretty music. Pretty sure if, it already is. Yeah, if high school music programs survive. Oh, yeah. Because um, social commentary. So... Uh, Appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, there's just, it's never going to die completely, right? Yeah. So, and it, you're right, maybe based on the political climate, it may have a rebirth. Depending on who wins the election this year, it may have a more quickly rebirth than we than we anticipate. Who knows? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they've had a lot of things to, like, people have had a lot of things to be angry about with Congress being a constant stalemate or whatever that... There's stuff there. It just maybe they're tired. Who knows? I I honestly don't feel like there has been a, a really and if if somebody out there can prove me wrong hmm. and share with me some good new punk music, I'm so down. I'm gonna geek out for a second because yeah. anger can really only course through your system for so long. Hmm. Like the cortisol. Like if you were to, sure. you, know, you eventually would just get exhausted, right? Yeah. This is why I think tight clothing is so seminal to the punk <laughs> movement. Right. Because if you can't sit without potentially like sitting on your balls, yeah. like that that's gonna make you an angry person. Sure. For <laughs> sure. But I mean like ska's not really that angry. I mean it's some of it's definitely angry, but there's a lot of stuff that's really fun too. Like if you look at or if you want to look at more like ska slash pop punk, me first and the gimme gimmies, they have fun. These are just a bunch of guys, like they're a super band, they're pulled in from a bunch of other bands. Right. And they just sing covers. Sean and I love me first. Uh, I love me first. The gimme. Their gimmies. first album was them doing a bunch of show tunes. Uh-huh. Like, so that shows you kind of what they're like. They're okay. Yeah. They also have a really good sense of humor, and they also have another album. Mm-hmm. In case you guys are interested, ruin Johnny's bar mitzvah. Where, yeah, it just came out not that long ago. Yeah, where they actually they they sent out a contest. Someone mm-hmm. submitted, and they actually played at a kid's bar mitzvah. Yep. That's so awesome. I would love to have me first in the Gimme Gimme's play at my eventual, maybe, I don't know, ever in the future wedding. That would be rad. Yeah. <laughs> I would seriously, I would spend my life savings for that to happen, probably. Well, you know, they probably would do something very special. I will say that at the Bar Mitzvah one, I don't know if you've heard or not. I have. It's really good. Their version. So it's not uncommon at a Bar Mitzvah to play the Hebrew song Hava Nagila. Mm-hmm. And what they do that <laughs> is priceless, but also probably very offensive to traditional Jewish communities, uh, is they took the lyrics to Hava Nagila and they put it to the melody of Feliz Navidad. Yep. Hava Nagila. Hava Nagila. Hava Nagila. Hava Nagila. They're just a fun band. Anyway, point being, there's fun stuff in punk, there's angry stuff in punk. I feel like there's something for everybody. Yep. There's something for everybody, but you have to go understanding that it's more about the energy that's created, I think, than the core musical development of the of the music i I remember seeing this article 
that was posted it was a gag article and uh you know because there's always that thing where you know punk really only has three chords right they, they've got three chords and that's it and uh i remember seeing this article it was like punk finally discovered the fourth chord <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, that's a total onion headline right there. i know i yeah. know and it's like and they're like oh my god think of all the change we could have created with the, with the establishment if only we found this fourth chord decades ago <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yep anyway um, so shall we get into some listener feedback absolutely this week in listener feedback uh we got one from benjamin Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin. Uh, in response to our video game episode. Mm. Uh, subject is, bless this this holy game engine of Unreal. Like it, I like how he's making the Monty Python reference there. As a former massive video game nerd, I really enjoyed your episodes on the history of gaming. I grew up with an Atari, watching my mom annihilate spirits on Mario, and... Uh, Skipped the N64. All of my friends had one, so I was leaning towards uh, PC by 11 or 12. Uh, and eventually dabbled into programming using what uh, was probably one of the most important advancements in video game technology, the Unreal Engine. Uh, that's still used today and was so popular that forms of it uh, advanced PC and console gaming almost overnight. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Uh, Thanks. It is a longer email, so I'm going to skip ahead to another paragraph. Uh, by the way, Brickma, I had the exact same experience, except my mom loved watching me play it, and she choked up hard and couldn't watch for a couple days after Eris got her kebab on, is what he said. Is what he said. <laughs> um, there wasn't much else to do in the cold winters of the northern Adirondacks. Adirondacks. I think there might have been a typographical error here, but uh, he says, keep it, ladies and gents, and keep calling folk out. Uh, black and white blew my mind. Fable may have dumbed me down. I seriously considered eating my Xbox on a few occasions <laughs> uh thank you sir much appreciated always good to hear from a listener um we're not gonna read it we also got a con- uh, some uh con- a critical one about that saying that we were so heavily nintendo based our, our episode well you know that's great that you're not a nintendo person sir but like you can't deny the influence that nintendo, nintendo has had on the uh on the gaming industry so we'll just leave it at that. You're entitled to, you know, your opinion. And um, we'll just go on from there. So besides from those two, I mean, that's the feedback we've got to share. We had a lot more for Nerds on Film, and we yeah. those will come out next week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Guys, if you do want to talk to us, this is a really important, important message. Go to the website. Click the Talk to Us button. We will more than likely read your stuff on the air. <laughs> Unless you're being a total asshat. No, no, para- no, no, no. Honestly, we will paraphrase you. <laughs> sometimes we paraphrase. Sometimes it's a little too long. But a lot of times we do read the stuff out loud. So yeah. um, if you guys do want to do that, Nerdonomy.com, you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Just search Nerdonomy. I promise you, you'll find us. We kind of helped. We didn't invent the word, but we kind of made it what it was. So yeah. Yeah, you'll find us for sure. Um, You can also, while you're on our website, you can go look through some of our old blog episodes, listen to past episodes. You can uh, buy a T-shirt if you feel like it. Or you can donate, which is super duper awesome if you're feeling so generous. That would be really great. Um, If you want to get something out of your money, (laughs) aside from great content from us, you can also uh, click on the Audible banner or any Amazon banners that you see on the website. Or you can just go to audibletrial.com slash anonymy try a free trial for audible 
and we get a little bit of a kickback. So thank you so much for that. But most importantly, the most important thing you could possibly do is tell your friends about us. Absolutely. Spread the word of nerd. And you know I got to say, I will say that uh, our my buddy Daniel just mm-hmm. sent me a message saying he listened to our Nicolas Cage episode of Nerds on Film and how much he loved it. Great. My immediate response was, tell all of your coworkers, too. Yeah. They, they could be friends, too. Yep. Tell, every, tell your family members. Mm-hmm. Tell your, tell your, your preacher. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the preacher should just listen to Nerds on History. It, maybe. I mean, it could be a very laid back church. I don't, sure. I don't know. I'm not going to judge. Right. The case in point, if you have a social and relationship that is on good grounds, tell them about our podcast. Yes. Because there's probably something they're going to like. Yep. There's some good content here. Yes, there is. And you know what, nerds, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Brian. What? I haven't even taken the needle out of the case yet. Oh.